This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our show today. Hi, Chrisana. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks. How about you guys? Good, good. I've got a whole story I have put together. I have surmised a lot of it, and it turns out that Ireland and Scotland are the locations themselves are really critical to the very ancient world. Yes, I've I've known that for ever since I could remember, because even the fact of when people talk about Atlantis, for example, yes, the I do know that there's a connection between Ireland and the United States with Atlantis, and how it manifests itself into the 3D world is the great connection between Ireland, Scotland, and the United States. It, even just in terms of immigration, but much more deeply than that. There's, there's roots, there's cultural connections, there's um, philosophical understandings, there's emotional ties, there's DNA connections, there's all sorts of subtle connections. And it really makes sense when you consider that that part of the world is connected on another level besides just the geography. That is absolutely true. Now, when you say another level, what do you mean? Well, what I mean is, you'll take, for example, that during the, just after the Irish famine, the Great Famine, they called it, which we all know now and are beginning to understand in greater detail, was just a great, another one of these great purgings. You know, that was all, that was all uh, a facade. I totally agree with you. And I have personal history on that that will probably shock you when I tell you. It'll shock you only because it's not that well known. Mm-hmm. That's yes. the Choctaw. Do you know that the Choctaw Indian tribe are the first, was the first nation on the earth to send aid to Ireland in the 19th century That's when right. they were starving? But you know, uh, they were just themselves coming out of that that f- terrible trek the, the, the Trail of Tears themselves, and they had nothing, and they actually pulled together aid and blankets and food for the Irish. When you consider what a magnanimous gesture that was, and how it came from a people who, there was no communication in those days, really, like we're familiar with today, but yet they knew about the struggle of the Irish, and they were they, they came to, to the aid, and I find that absolutely amazing. Really, really Idiot. fascinating. There's something on a... That's, that's the level that I'm talking about. There's a deep level here. Now, the other thing also is, when, when I mentioned about that episode being a, a genocide, that's exactly what it was. Because when you consider, Ireland is a, an island with plenty of fish, and yet, right. yet you had an island full of people starving to death. Now, right. why would that be the case? And not only that... There was plenty to eat besides the potato. There was wheat and oats and barley and apples and uh, all kinds of other fruit and vegetables. Why would an island of people starve 
just because the potato failed. It just doesn't make sense. But yet, you see, this is the power of the people who make the history. And we want to talk about history on a global scale in a few minutes. The power... Okay, now let me tell you something. I hmm. want to say one thing. And, and then I'm going to let you get started because I think we're missing a lot of good dialogue here. First of all, the Trail of Tears was Cherokee and not Choctaw. Oh, okay. They are two different tribes. And okay. my background is I am from Oklahoma, which is all, I mean, it was an Indian reservation. And I'm Native American descendant. I am part Cherokee. And my great-great-grandfather fought in the, an all-Cherokee regiment in the Civil War. And when his wife had died, so when the Civil War started, he enlisted and he took his children, there were five of them, to the Choctaw Reservation at Atoka, Oklahoma. And the Choctaw took them in mm-hmm. and reared them while my great great-grandfather was in the Civil War. And then when the war ended, he came back and and they, we, the Cherokee Regiment, it's called the Cherokee Cavaliers, were the last regiment to surrender. Everyone else had surrendered, but mm. they refused. And they never actually surrendered. They never signed an article of surrender. They signed a ceasefire. So because they signed the ceasefire, they were able to get legal status as an Indian tribe. And that was my great-great-grandfather who was part of that. He mm-hmm. he was. They're, they're called Standwatis Regiment. They're a very famous regiment now. Mm-hmm. And then when the war was over, he went and lived with the Choctaw, with his kids. And my, his son, B.F. Frank, uh, B.F. Roger, their last name was Roger, his son, B.F. Roger, was trying to remember. He was a, he, the tribe adopted him. He grew up with the Choctaw. And the whole bottom line is my family was with the Choctaw when they did that in the 1870s, well, when they now, took the money. Isn't that interesting? Gosh. Yeah, it is interesting. And he's buried with them. Uh, my great-great-grandfather is buried in the Choctaw Cemetery, and one of his sons, B.F. Roger, became a very famous Indian judge. He was like the first judge of the Indian, of the Choctaw Nation before the white man's law. That is the way he's described in history books. Now let me tell you a short little story, which I found really stunning. When I first brought Angel Rose to Ireland, and we were walking in an area called Glendalough, which is about one hour south of Dublin, and it's a very, very beautiful glacial valley. And Angel Rose said to me as we were walking along, when were the Native American Indians in Ireland? And I said, they've never been in Ireland. I, I had never heard of it. You know, it was totally something that was not in any of the history books that I had ever read or was educated with. Now, here's the thing, though. She said, well, we've had a Native American scout alongside us on a horse all the time we've been in this valley. And I didn't know what to say about that. But when we got home, I did a little bit of research. And I found, that's when I found the the interesting 
information about the Choctaws who gave all that help to the Irish at the time of the, the Great Famine. Now, right. interestingly enough, though, another little incident happened at the turn of the century. You remember the millennium. The millennium was a big occasion in Ireland, the year the, the year 2000. And there were ceremonies at all the sacred sites, not all the sacred sites, but a lot of the major main sacred sites around Ireland where people were performing Druid ceremonies and various other kind of earth-based ceremonies and Celtic ceremonies and all kinds of beautiful and wonderful spiritual ceremonies to celebrate. Now, who came to the main celebration on Ishnak and the Hill of Tara in Ireland? Only the leaders of several Native American Indian tribes who had never been outside of the country before, let alone to Ireland, and they brought with them sacred items from their tribes, which was never before heard. And I, and I thought that was absolutely stunning, that she perceived that there was this connection between the Native American Indians and Ireland. Well, I, I will tell you that I think, you know, Henry Sinclair was in Scotland, and he was a Templar. He was the head of the Templars. When the Templars were got in trouble with Rome, you know who the Templars were, the Knights Templar? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Okay, and they were like, they were mercenaries mm. who worked for the Vatican. Yes. They went to the Middle East in, in search of Solomon's treasure, and apparently one would, one could easily surmise they found something. Uh-huh. When they got back, the Vatican, in one turn, just excommunicated them That's and right. began to expunge them. That's right. Yeah. They fled to Scotland. Yes, this is where we come to Rosalind Chapel. That's right. Now, here's the story on that one. So, Henry Sinclair would go on voyages, and he would be gone, you know, for months, years. And he went on a voyage. And I, I'm not prepared for this because I wasn't going to go into all this, but I'm just telling you this. He went to, he, he, he went on a voyage. Of course, no one knows where he is. He comes back. He takes his two eldest daughters with him to trade them in marriage. You know, that was mm-hmm. the expected thing to do at that time. Yes. Yes. And apparently the, there is a theory and there is actually evidence to support that theory that Sinclair had figured out how to get over to North America uh, through Nova Scotia and Canada, right up in the northern, the most northern U.S. states, that he brought men here, that they intermarried with the Native people, and the daughters that he took, uh, when he took his daughters, he never returned to Scotland. No one ever knew what happened to him. Mm-hmm. But from lighthouses that were built and certain markers that were left on in the grid, they built they built monuments yeah. that Sinclair brought men and his daughters here, and they stayed in uh, the northern U.S. and in Canada. Yes. Now I believe that's true. Well, there's also there's evidence a- that Saint Brendan travelled way before the time of Columbus travelled from Ireland across the Atlantic to the United States. There's various markers and stone carvings that have been found attributed to him and to that time period. 
well, we might be actually talking about the same stuff between the Templars and, and this other saint who I've never heard of. But getting to America was not that difficult. Yes. The reason, the reason that we have this huge, well, the Vikings were definitely here. We know that for a fact. Oh, they were a great seafaring nation. There's no doubt. They had a settlement in New York, like in about seven to 800 A.D. It seems like there's a lot of them still there. Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. And they, but they built a settlement and they were there. And before that, it appears the Chinese were here. All oh, right. That, that's new to me now. I never heard that one. It's actually, um, you can get quite a bit about it on, on the internet. Um, it was, it, it was a quite an announcement. There was a book written. And there is actually very good, ev very good evidence, by the way, that it really happened. And they were in a North America, and in the Americas, they were in South America too, before the Vikings, who mm -hmm. were here before Columbus. But here is the reason that the, they, the, this whole myth about Columbus discovering America had to be sold. And that is, the Vatican has a, what is called the Doctrine of Discovery. Mm -hmm. Which states? Now remember, the Vatican had established itself as the authority for the world in God's name. That's right. They claimed the whole planet for God, mm -hmm. and they, their doctrine of discovery was that it, it, there's a, it, it, there, there are several pretty um, detailed requirements, but in order to claim land. It had to be newly discovered, and the people had to be savages. And then they could claim it as their own. So that is the way they wrote American history. Yes. Uh, so that the Europeans could claim America under the doctrine of discovery. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes sense, makes sense. And that whole yeah. picture fits together. And not only does it fit historically and it also points out the flaws in the history books as it's handed down to us the 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 lies that we've been told because the lies don't fit and it also leads us beautifully into our discussions today because we want to look at where what would be the motivation for something like that in other words you can understand somebody on a superficial level saying that oh uh, america is in Iraq to bring democracy or America is in Afghanistan to bring peace to that country and you can understand somebody buying that story but when you look underneath it and you realize that oh well there's a layer of economics here you know there's oil fields and there's all that side of things there's strategic places that are involved here but also then there are power spots in all of these places that are worth fi fighting for and obviously worth dying for. And we've seen this firsthand in Ireland when that speaker you were talking about, um, John Irwin, 
He was talking about the Battle of the Boyne in Ireland, for example. Now, we've been told, uh, for example, on a superficial level, we've been told, oh, that was just a battle between the Catholic King James of England and the Protestant King William of Orange. And it just happened to be fought in Ireland. And that's how come it led to 400 years of, of more and more tragedy that followed in its wake. And it's celebrated on the 12th of July ever since. But... Many of us who have looked into it a little bit deeper realized that the Boyne Valley is actually a reflection of what's going on in the stars, in the night sky, and the position of various constellations. And there's a megalithic tomb right there in the Boyne Valley called Newgrange. And Newgrange is one of these places that supposedly, again, if you listen to the superficial version, it was supposedly built by savages and uh, early farmers. And that that just doesn't make sense because all the stone was brought for miles and miles and miles away. And the construction is very similar in, in the interior with the vaulted ceilings like those at the Great Pyramid in Egypt. So there, these people were far more than farmers and savages and there's a reason for them wanting to conquer and control that particularly that particular energy point and it's this that we want to get at when we're looking at these issues you know when you talk about the great famine in ireland or you talk about columbus discovering america or you talk about the vatican exploits punishing and killing people all over the world in the name of god supposedly you realize that there's this one huge deception that's going on And underneath it is really a very, very interesting story of survival of humanity, but with a bigger purpose. And it's that that we want to try and get at. So can you talk us through what you've discovered, Chrisanna? You've been an absolute pioneer in uncovering a lot of things that are going on from your work with Sasquatch and various other teachings and learnings that you've discovered yourself through your own research. Can you talk to us about the importance of these power spots and the ancient standing stones and how they may have keys or answers to a lot of things for us? I will be happy to discuss that with you. My, I want to qualify that by saying that my knowledge is based on information from UFO contacts and my own research into the ancient sites and the earth grid. Uh And I will start with the word geometry because in studying the earth grid, geometry becomes an absolutely essential um, tool. You simply must use geometry uh, to, to really study the earth grid. And the word geometry itself means earth measure. Yes, yes. In Greek, geo is earth and meter is measure. Mm -hmm. So the measures of the earth were so important to the ancients that the entire study of geometry was named for that. Mm -hmm. And, And I believe that the ancients understood how to use the Earth itself as an energy generator and were able to actually even travel. They could 
there are natural stargates, but they were able to generate stargates. So all what this means is that all the energy that we really need is right in the earth. And when we have to, um, what we have to know is how to extract it and distribute it. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is what many, many of the power uh, uh, grids and power struggle to control the earth is really about. It's about the stargates. It's yes. about the vortexes, which are energy centers. And and it's about activating our potential. Yes. And there are right. forces that don't want that to happen. There definitely are forces who do not want that to happen. Um, I believe, and all we can do really is is um, give our best opinion. Yes. We don't have the data. We don't have evidence. We don't have hard evidence in a lot of cases because we, we've we had such enormous upheaval that anything that was on the surface has been destroyed. Yes, yes. Uh, the asteroid or the meteor uh, that impacted the East Coast uh, 12,800 years ago is when it was, exactly. And, and that is good, solid dating uh, that was recently published, uh, published in 2013. That scientific dating uh, from studying the debris from that object. Now, Scientists are still arguing, was it a comet that impacted us? Was it an asteroid? Was it a meteor? And and there, it's not clear yet which it was, but it was so powerful that it came in from the, it, it, it was traveling, it, it was traveling from Canada across America went across um, the Atlantic, and there's actually uh, debris in uh, Syria. It scattered molten debris over four continents. Wow, that was big. All the way from the Channel Islands by Santa Barbara, uh, North America, Central America, Europe, and then into... uh, uh, the subcontinent of, uh, well, not the subcontinent, but it, 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 it passed over Africa too. So it, it, it left debris in those four continents. That is an incredible, incredible cosmic impact. And the fire, now this was, it was spreading, they're called, uh, spherals. And they're just molten, molten debris from it. And the, the extent of the, um, of the debris has, has led science, some scientists to argue it had to be a comet that did that. Um, in North America, it set the entire, um, the layer of grass 
on fire. It, it's called the Younger Dryas layer. And uh, that is what destroyed anything that was in eastern, what is now the eastern USA, it was burned to a crisp. It was just destroyed. So, if whatever was on the east coast of the Americas at that time, which there are indications there were structures from Atlantis in that area, but whatever was there was burned, buried, and inundated with water from from that um, cosmic impact. Yes. And anything that might have been left, though, by way of documents or of a historical nature, you then had various other purges that took place by the Romans, for example, and the, the destruction of the library at Alexandria and That's various other places around the world where any type of information that might lead to the knowledge of our cosmic origins was destroyed. It's absolutely true. And they also destroyed. Uh, armies went through the ancient world at one point, snatched the noses off of statues. Why did they do that? It was just a very common thing to do. But there's a, there is a reason they did that, by the way, which I'll, I'll mention in a minute. Mm. And also, at that time, um, there was a culture, the prevalent culture, and we know because there are mentions of it in, in many places, publicly displayed what are called the yoni and the lingam, which are simply the genitalia of the female and the male. And the way contemporary anthropologists interpret this is that these were were fertility cults. Right. Right? So when you think of a fertility cult, you think of a bunch of primitives, you know, praying to get pregnant or something. You know yes, what I mean? Yes, yes. And it's ridiculous because that was not, well, yes, they were, they were, concerned with fertility and fertility rights, but it has a far more profound meaning because what that ties into directly is Tantra. And Tantra is all about how you use your human energy. Okay. Right? So there were, there were, uh, there was anciently, it was in Mexico, um, and I will tell you it was in Stonehenge, and it was, it really was worldwide where Tantra was celebrated. Mm -hmm. And it was not shameful and it was not a, a bad thing. You educated people. These, this is who you are. You're a human and this is your energy potential. And the, I tell you, wherever the Vatican went, it destroyed that imagery and the noses of statues were smashed. Mm -hmm. Well, before you explain about the noses, because I'm interested to hear, uh, because the uh, about the Sphinx in Egypt, for example, how come the nose of that is destroyed? We've heard it's from various uh, generals during the last war bombing it, but there are obviously other reasons. But when you talk about the female 
fertility cults and how the Vatican tried to squash that. I have an interesting story to tell you because there are various monasteries, Christian monasteries, that were founded in Ireland after the time of St. Patrick, who came to Ireland in 432 AD. And many of those monasteries and many of those Christian settlements, they had to adopt the traditions of the previous cultures that were there in order to convert them. And so what they did was they allowed certain imagery to continue with the idea that they would turn it over. So in other words, you might have, let's say, a sacred well that would give healing waters and it might have been a fairy well, for example, but suddenly it became St. Patrick's well or St. Bridget's well, and you can see how that was modified over time to suit the the conquering religion. But there was one particular image called a Sheila Nagig, and what this is, it's a woman's open legs, and you can see straight into her vagina, and this particular image is actually over the door of the entrance into many of the ancient Christian settlements all over the country of Ireland, not just in one particular place. In fact, some people have made written books and done various studies on the enormous numbers of these what are called Sheila gigs. But they had to be there because if they weren't there, they couldn't have persuaded the the uh, pagans to come into the Christian fold. They, they couldn't have done it. So they had to allow some items to remain in order for the takeover to be complete. So it's very interesting you point out that these particular, how they changed the story, in other words, to suit themselves. Absolutely. And and we have been taught, and God bless Queen Victoria, she did more than her share. She put in double duty. Um, we have been taught that the the body is shameful, mm-hmm. that um, our sexuality is to be hidden and rejected, when in actual fact, it is just really a part of humanity. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you remember, when was it, May 23rd, thereabouts, Elliot Roger, who was a 22-year-old young man, in Isla Vista, California, made a video, and on this video, he explained how frustrated he he is, or he was, and that um, all he wanted was someone to love him, and he was 22, he was a college graduate, he was still a virgin, and he was so angry at girls for rejecting him that he... He wanted retribution, and by the time he was done, they would be begging him to stop. And he loaded three guns, got in his black BMW, and did. He killed seven people. He did a drive-through shooting, drive-by shooting. Right now, the video that he made was absolutely explicit. That all he wanted was for someone to love him and to have sex. That was his point of view. There's, I, I assure you there's more to it because people who were interviewed after that, after he killed seven people, said he never talked to anyone. So there's two sides to that coin. But that is 
just an example of how nuts and how crazy people go when they deny their basic humanity. Yeah, and, and there's more to that as well, Chrisana, in in terms of the energetic power of exactly. that sexual drive. And when it's suppressed like that and controlled, then it can be usurped for other other reasons and other purposes. We've we've been very aware of this in the last number of years. And if you consider for a second, look at the power that it drove that guy to murder seven people. But equally, when you have a mass consciousness that is perverted or is suppressed in that way, look at look at what that's capable of doing. And I believe that, yeah, ex look, Angel Rose said, look what the church has done. Oh, yeah, that's they're abusing children and doing all sorts of satanic rituals, sexual rituals, at the same time telling us that we can't use the divine aspect of it. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tragic, actually, what's going on. <gasps> so that's been a, a huge part of the entrapment of humanity. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is by, is by convincing them to deny their own humanity, to deny the basic human functions of life, and taking control of that. And the obvious uh, uh, big name, high-profile leader in that is the Vatican. And and so there was an earlier culture that that taught tantra, and and it was it and the symbols were worldwide, from Mexico to Ireland, as you point out, and it's still uh, the case in India. Yes. So anyway, um, that is where it starts. It starts into tapping in the, the power of the human genome, harnessing that power, and using it for the benefit of, 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 of an elite group. It's just that simple. Mm -hmm. Yes. And if we go to Ed Casey's readings on Atlantis, he's very, very clear about it. That that the human the human genome, when it's activated, has a tremendous potential to teleport, to uh, for psi functions, um, to do things that to us today seem like miracles. But to the ancients, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And they were not just superstitious savages. Uh, Native Americans still have a strong undercurrent of that culture. And what it has been replaced with today is, is uh, diamonds are forever. If you love her, give her a diamond. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my diamond, Kasana. <laughs> Well, you can talk to Ahadu about that. <laughs> I'd have to I'm go sorry, back to my I roots. I can't help you with that. In <laughs> Africa and, and get a diamond, you know. Right. Talk about the tragedy of all of that, too, and the resources of that country being exploited and destroyed in such a way. Oh my God, it's a tragedy. But I think that the De Beers diamond really symbolizes what we're talking about here. Yes, 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 yes. Now, what I want to try and get into. Chrisanna is the the standing stones and those ancient tombs. What we what we're led to believe are are tombs. Yes, but the stargates. We want to to know is there a solution that heretofore has been denied to us about the purpose of these 
original buildings and these original locations on the planet and can they be activated or reactivated and can can the the, the normal human being access these stargates and can can anybody have access to the ascension potential right yes they can because it is part of the planet it's part of the planet's energetic structure and it's part of the human genome to be able to tap into that right our our human genome was developed specifically for this planet we were not cooked up in batches and brought here and dropped off mm-hmm. we were we were we were we bred over mil, a million years more than a million years with the specific intent of being the earth stewards for this planet right which meant we had to be very keenly sensitive to the earth and okay the um in terms of the of the of the standing stones and there is no better place no better example of standing stones than stonehenge mm-hmm. but stonehenge is actually pretty young compared to some of the more ancient structures yes in southern england and ireland mm-hmm. and indeed there are standing stones as we've recently discovered in the Siberian taiga there's various structures that local people have been praying to for centuries and they weren't recognized as the power spots as as we know them they they considered them just to be you know a cup a few stones standing with perhaps a dolmen type shape to it or various other shapes some of them in circles some of them standing on their own and they they never realized they were revered by the local people but from an anthropological or geological point of view there was never any significance attached to them but these structures apparently are all over the world they are all over the world in every and on every continent and sometimes you know in in many 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 countries on the continents and so that is your earth grid that there is an earth grid it is an electromagnetic grid and it 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 is um responds to solar conditions and galactic conditions but it also has its own pattern its own in, innate pattern and magnetic core so it's not just Whatever the sun does or whatever the galaxy does, the earth follows along. A lot of people get the idea that we're just like a Christmas ornament hanging in space and we're just the, the we're just at the will of, of planets, of, um, the sun and the galaxy. And that's not true. We are an integral planet and we have our own internal structure and our own internal pattern and our own magnetic core. Now, this is what I actually work with. Uh, it's the time star. The time star is a geometry of five interpenetrated tetrahedra. And it has 20 points, which are vortexes of, um, of 
where we're most sensitive to receiving um, galactic influx, you know, galactic radiation. And then, and that's atmospheric. And then we have 12 points, 12 vortexes on the surface of the Earth where you have intense energy. And a lot of those vortexes, the 12 that are on the surface of the Earth, are really underwater. And the reason for that is because the, the, the power and the energy there is so intense that the land just doesn't, it just goes away. It sinks after a certain, you know, uh, in, in, in its own timing, it'll sink. But then you, what you do is you, again, use the Earth's measure, use key geometries, and you can extrapolate the flow lines from these 12 key energy centers on the surface of the Earth. And from that geometry, you get a grid, and it is electromagnetic in nature. Um, I identified a pulse that the energy in that grid moves in pulses in 13-day cycle. And that 13-day cycle is part of the calendar that was encoded first at Teotihuacan in Mexico, and then later the Maya used it also. And um, so the answer to your question is, it is still there. We can tap into it. And the what's most interesting, and right now I'm working, doing, uh, looking at a lot at Stonehenge. Stonehenge exemplifies a power center, and that's what all of those megaliths were about. And now I will, I will have you. I don't know how familiar you are with Stonehenge. I don't know how familiar listeners are with Stonehenge, but I really encourage people to um to really take a look at that area because the where it got its name Stonehenge is that it was this, it was a huge circle of megalithic stones and uh, on the top they were held together by lintels which means you you had let's say you had two stones in place and you pl- and you put a lintel on top of the two stones so that they're held together. And then you, you you hold them together with a hinge. That's where the stone hinge comes from. So that when stone hinge was in its prime, you had you had your several circles of stones that were all held together in a circle by lintels that were hinged together. Right, which means that they. I think the I think the importance of that was was the it the vibrations it captured and generated because when it vibrated, it could vibrate as a single unit. Now today, modernly, and when it was um, cleaned up and resurrected. In the 18th and 19th centuries, it had been destroyed. People had had chopped up megaliths 
and stones and used it for built used them for building materials. Yes. So they were just Yeah. Huh? Didn't they do the same thing with the limestone facade of the Great Pyramid too? They took it and built their own homes from it. They did that with many, many sacred sites around the world too. But you know, you wonder also, was there some kind of underlying orchestration behind that also? Or, or yes, was it just you do plain wonder. ignorance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, well it's we, probably a combination. Yes, yeah. Well, we will right? be visiting Stonehenge this later in this summer because we are going to Ireland in July, and part of our intention is actually to travel to Roslyn Chapel in Scotland, as well as Stonehenge in England, and we will pay a visit to that entire area because there have been some amazing new crop circles have come down in the Wiltshire Valleys and uh, we're we're looking forward to getting into that aspect of things while we're there. Right. And I will tell you, I have just, uh, there have been, well, the Wiltshire's had very few crop circles this year. Oh. I was just, I've been working on this, yeah. There have been 10 crop circles in the world in the month of June that were reported to Crop Circle Connector. Mm-hmm. Uh, several of them were in Holland. I think two were in Holland. And the ones that were made in England, I think, uh, I can tell you, one was made at Hod Hill, which is in Dorset, and another was made at Badbury Rings, and that was in Dorset. And then there was another one made at Harewell in Wales. There was one made near the London airport and then there was one more that was made I don't um, recall off the top of my head where it was so crop circles have been very low in number and they are not clustered in Wiltshire this year at all why do you think that is what's behind that do you think why is there so few this year I honestly don't know I honestly just simply cannot tell you. Yeah. It happens like that some years. I think it, when we look at when we look at the the condition of the grid and the planetary condition, yes. and we and crop circles, it's clear that crop circles have been made throughout history. Yes, yes. At various times, they've been made. The, the indigenous people report them. Yes, and then. They began to proliferate in large numbers around Stonehenge in the 1970s. And, it, and at, at first they started out as just simple circles in a variety of, um, of designs, but they were all just really simple circles. And um, then, then the collusion and the corruption and the destruction because it, they were clearly connected. There were glowing lights and, and UFOs connected with them. And that is when the powers on high began to attempt to discredit them, disinform them. And um, and the Doug and, uh, there was a Doug uh, and Dave The Doug theory. and Dave story, yes. But that, that yeah. has been proven to be impossible, though. I mean, it's most totally people... impossible. Yeah. But I'm just giving you the history here. <laughs> sure. But now what what is very significant, in my opinion, is that these crop circles began to appear first around Stonehenge in the early 70s, exactly when the ozone hole was discovered. 
think the ozone hole was discovered around 76. And by the late 70s, we were having signs, we were observing signs of heating on other planets in the solar system. So we were getting systemic, you know, heating all through the solar system that was getting evident by the 70s. That's exactly when the crop circles began to appear around Stonehenge. I think they're connected. I think that there was the ozone hole and the heating. Um, it was in the late 70s, the early 80s, that the greenhouse effect was first noticed. The, the global warming was noticed then. And the greenhouse effect was postulated to explain it. So I don't think, I think that the crop circles are totally tied to our planetary condition. But I don't think, I do think UFOs are connected with them. But it's a message. And, and, and what we're missing, in my opinion about this message, is what planetary conditions mean to us as a species. Yes. Now, I, I feel, and this is solely coming from our discussions with various people, either on the radio or through Akashic Record readings or our exposure in general to spiritually minded people, that the magnetic grid is being damaged and affected. And a lot of people are reporting they're finding it more difficult to meditate. Many people are saying that they have uh, chaotic dreams and various other things that are going on. And it seems to me it's because of the grid that you speak of. And that perhaps may have something to do with the lesser number of crop circles. But let's leave that till we come back. We need to take a very, very quick little studio break here. And let's remind our listeners we're speaking with Chrisanna Duran. And we are talking about all things comets, asteroids, meteorites, the Knights Templar, the Irish Famine, the Battle of the Boyne, the Time Star, Stonehenge, and the Ancient Standing Stones, and Crop Circles. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening now to Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. All right, everybody, we're back now with Krasana and Ahanu and myself, and Gail Rose, having a wonderful discussion. So, Krasana, I want to jump ahead here and go into where we, are at, where we are at present with the state of play. You know, I mean, if we really take a look at history and we see how, you know, the human has been suppressed all this time, and right now it seems that we are in a, a final battle, if you will, between those that want to control and those that want us to be free and actually want the planet saved. So what do you know and what do you get from your ET sources about, is anybody out there helping us now? Um, is it all up to humanity changing their consciousness? And is that enough? And to me, that seems like a huge project to have all of humanity wake up and change their consciousness because we've been so enslaved for so many years, especially by dogmas and all sorts of things that people build their identities on. But with what's going on around the world, underground, you know, between the dark and the light, where do you think we are and where do you think we have to go? 
I'm going to give you Artemis's message. Now, I've told you on several times I am not a channel and I am not a medium. I am, however, a psychic. And I have been a UFO experiencer all my life. And in May of 2012, I was sitting in my living room. It was just dusk, and I had eaten dinner, and the lights were off. And I was just enjoying the quiet and and the semi-darkness in the room. I was simply almost in a meditative state, and I saw a beam of light appear in my living room. It was a it was a beam of light, and I. And it was by a hanging that I had made. And I said, who is there and what do you want? And a woman's voice said to me that she was there because she wanted to uh, make a facsimile of the wall hanging I had made about the Battle of Troy. I had taken images from Troy and um, made a, a wall hanging like one, like the blanket or the uh, tapestry that Homer described in the Iliad mm-hmm. that Helen was weaving. Right. And <clears throat> she said she was going to put it in her office. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she and I had quite a discussion. And it was a very physical, very present being. And at the same time, or later that night and the next day, she appeared to two people I know, one of them who knew nothing about the communication with her that night in my living room. And she she talked about Atlantis talked about Greece, and when she was in my living room, she asked me what I remembered about Greece, and and uh, she said, you know you were there, and uh, she told me that they, as it turns out, it was Artemis, and she is an Octurian, and it was they who sang the story of the Iliad to Homer, because they believed we needed to know that history. And through the years, I have realized that the Battle of Troy was really the crux. It was it was the defining point of how the modern world came to exist. Now, she came back in June. It was June 26th of 2012. And she talked to me again, and she said, and she explained that we are the test or the challenge that we are facing right now is one of of resonance because of our sheer number on the earth that uh, we have now. Affect, we now strongly affect the earth that this is the same challenge that all free will species must meet and that everyone who has come before us 
and gone on met that challenge. And she said, you asked me what is going to really happen in 2012, which had been my question. And she said, before the end of the year, 2012, there will be a storm will will come upon you. It is already forming, but it is silent in the shadows at now. And when it announces itself, it will be wrapped. You know, it will be sudden, it will be fast, and it will be unmistakable. And that would happen before the end of 2012. She said, we cannot... She said, we can stand by you as a tree with its younger roots can stand, you know, can stand by its younger roots. But you people must face this. This is your test. This is your challenge. And, of course, in October, Superstorm Sandy came in. It had just started out as a little hurricane down in the Caribbean. And then it traveled north up past Cuba. And when it got out into the Atlantic, right over by the uh, Sargassa Sea, it suddenly became a hybrid storm like nobody had ever seen before. Many people remember it very clearly. Yes. it, it, It suddenly morphed into a monster. And we all know what happened as a result of that. Yes. And after that happened, I realized, my God, that's exactly what Artemis said was going to happen. But what was the significance of that in terms of the journey of humanity? I mean, what what challenge was it? Was it was it just a challenge for the people who were in the path of the storm, or was it a, a challenge of some other kind for all of humanity? It's a challenge for all of humanity. And, and what we are creating as a resonant in resonance, like resonance is the way you, your vibration relative to an object or others or other objects. Resonance is a real, real, it's a real process. It's about vibration. Now, I understand, the way I came to understand resonance is I had a, way back when, back in the Vietnam era, I had a friend who had been a crew chief on helicopters in Vietnam, and he went down eight different times. And He went down? You, you mean know, he was shot down? He crashed eight different times. Wow. And one, at least once was because they had hovered too long, and the helicopter set up a resonance with the earth and tore itself to pieces. Gosh. So he was he was always very careful about that. You know, and he talked about resonance all the time, how powerful it is. Um, you've seen uh, glasses expo- explode when you get... Uh, when you hit the right note and it's sustained for a long mm-hmm. time, yes, that's resonance. Mm-hmm. Yes, you see. So we, as a species, in our entirety, our physical and our mental and our emotional structures are now so huge 
there are so many of us that we are a have become a force of nature in the environment and it's a it's a force of resonance well some people would say that that is the key to the likes of Tesla's discoveries when he was talking about free energy and all of that potential was that it was about resonance. And some people ventured to say that that was the real purpose of the pyramids, for example, or even the standing stones at Stonehenge, that it was to do with sound technology. Would you go That's agree with that? Yeah, Absolutely. And especially when you look, when you visit Stonehenge and you look at how those lentils anchored all of the the megaliths into a single structure, and then they were locked down to secure them, and that in under certain conditions, the kind of resonance that 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 when Stonehenge was intact, when it was in its prime, it could have generated enormous resonance. Because of the way. Um, what do you think about some of the books that are out there that suggest that the Great Pyramid was, you know, an energy generator that was used to create a net over the earth to keep people controlled? What do you think about that? I think there were many different eras, depending on who controlled the pyramid. Okay, in Zachariah Sitchin's work, he says that. He does not know when the pyramids were, the Great Pyramid was built. He said nothing was said about it in the literature, in the text that he translated. And then suddenly, around eight or nine thousand years ago, the pyramids, um, there was, were recorded because they were, went to war over them. And that, he said, that nothing had been, written in the in the text about constructing them until they went to war over them. So there so we know there were wars in over the Great Pyramid and that it changed hands several times. So Edgar Casey tells a different story. He yeah, doesn't what does go he into say? all of that. Yeah, what does he Casey, Edgar Casey said that the Great Pyramid was constructed. He gives the name Iltar. It was constructed in a hundred-year period between like 12,395 years ago and 12,495 years ago. That's from memory, so don't quote me on that. But it's approximate. It was about 12,500 years ago. They were constructed in a hundred-year period. And that they were originally, it was originally constructed to help people purify. It was not a, a nightmare chamber at all. And, uh, and he gives the name Iltar, I-L-T-A-R, built it. Now, in the way I read and what I think was going on, I think that the original, so the original builders apparently did not have any ill intent. They were actually trying to help us. But but they changed hands. There were wars, uh, according to Sitchin. There were several pyramid wars. 
over who controls that or those pyramids. Now, I will tell you what my contacts told me because it relates right to what we're talking about here. And that is that there was an ancient pyramid system on this planet. Most of it's been destroyed. And it, it provided power, communication for the planet. And it kept the grid at a certain frequency. It was like a, you know, a beneficial frequency. It worked directly in the grid system. And, um, that the, the original crystal skulls were part of that grid system. That, uh, Max, the crystal skull that Joanne Parks has, I believe there's a lot of confusion about those crystal skulls. Some of them are actually very recent. They were carved in the 19th century. But Max appears to have been a truly ancient skull that could not have been carved with technology that existed in the 19th century. Um, the other one is the Mitchell Hedges skull. But anyway, my contact, who I call Syrian George, told me, he said, they left those skulls, those crystal skulls, on the planet to remind us of who we are. And apparently what happened is that after these wars over the pyramids, the pyramids were a central part of the wars. They were focal points in these wars. And that when the wars were over, that they dismantled that grit and they took, like you, you cannot just throw any old stone in any old way you want to and get the pyramid to work, to power up. You've got to have certain stones in a certain configuration for it to really start generating the power you want and you need. And, and, and the crystal skulls were a part of that configuration. And he told me that, that, um, they would, they had like walls of, of stones configured in a certain way. And the crystal skulls would be hooked onto a mainframe. You know, in other words, the crystal skull would be plugged in with other stones. And, um, he was quite explicit about that. And, and, and in the eyes and the orifices of the crystal skulls, you would use other stones, like you would use rubies and emeralds in the eyes and in the, in the mouth. And then you would hook the neck onto the back of the neck. You would hook it onto a, a, some kind of a bar that was in the stone, the array of stones. Now, when this planet, after those wars, this planet was closed down. And this, the stones that were needed to, to gear up that whole pyramid system were removed from the planet. And George said, when you people are ready for them, we will bring them back. So that's point number one. <clears throat> 
And then he told me this whole story. Then later, I read in Sitchin's books that after one of the Pyramid Wars, the stones were inventory. They did an inventory of the stones that were in the Sumerian text, and they removed them. And that totally aligns with what George told me. And then I went to visit Max, the crystal skull with Joanne Parks. And I just had 15 minutes with, with Max. And the first thing I did when I sat down is I asked her, where's the little hook on the back of his neck? Because George had told me it was there. And she says, oh, it's just here. And she lifted him up and she showed me where the hook was. And it was a square carved hook. It, it, at one time that thing hooked onto something else. And I said, do you know what that's for? She says, well, I always just thought it was for um, sitting it on an altar. Well, the way that's constructed, you don't need it to hook the way it does. To sit it on an altar, you just sit it down. This thing was hooked so it would snap into place with a larger mainframe. And that, and George said, we left this, the crystal skulls there to remind you of who you really are. And I think that what they did is they would power up those crystal skulls with this variety of stones and put it into the mainframe. And it would activate human DNA. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, so. Well, you want to know my experience when I met Max? Oh, tell me. Well, Max wasn't very conversational with me. He was more, actually, more conversational with the Hanu. But when I went up to it, um, he did do some adjusting in my neck area, now that I remember. There was all these rainbow-colored lights that were going through my spinal column at my neck and then into my brain. And then, But the very first thing he said to me is, um, I'm, I am young compared to the skulls that you know. So that was really kind of interesting, you know? And then, but Ahano had a different experience with Max. Tell, tell Krasana yeah. what you had. My experience was really about uh, his age. He said to me that uh, it's very similar and separately. Yeah. He said to me what he almost what he said to Engel Rose that he was quite young, and he said, in fact, that's where I got my name from. That it is the Roman numerals M M X X or something like that. I I worked it out anyway where he was just over two thousand years old, where. Um, a lot of the others were far more ancient than that, and yeah. that uh, I got some I got some corruption from him. I got some negativity from him. I, I I felt from him, and I intuited that he had been compromised in some ways, and I I don't know why. I mean that was just my own impression. I felt that I couldn't totally trust him. Uh, that was just my own impression. That could also be from some sort of past life memory. That maybe that was being triggered as well by CNN. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Might not have been with Max directly. It might have been with some event. Yeah. That it just came to me just now that occurred. Yes. In history. Now, I, yeah, I think. Yeah. 
But I see, I had had a memory of being in Ethiopia long, long ago, and there was uh, a group of women who were in a big hall of records in Ethiopia, and we were carving these uh, skulls really old, and we were putting information into them. And But what I saw is that they had been placed in a whole different dimensional space so that they couldn't be accessed until we were ready. That's what I saw. But right. Now, let me tell you the rest of what Max told me that day. <laughs> okay. I saw him out in the Joshua Tree Desert. Yes, I know where that is. Yeah. And that is where George Van Tassel had a lot of contacts. Yeah. A lot of UFO contacts. They were real, very genuine. He had thousands of people gather on that desert at Giant Rock. Right. Well, right, right next to Giant Rock is a crystal, 600 foot, naturally formed white quartz crystal pyramid. Yes, we climbed to the top of it. Very interesting said, place. He said, if you go to that pyramid tonight, I will talk to you. So I said, okay. So I went out to the pyramid. I sat on top of that pyramid all night. And he explained to me how the grid works, <laughs> which happens to tie into our topic right here today. Okay. And that over long periods of time, and I'm talking hundreds of thousands of years, the grid drifts, the grid rotates, and it changes, and it morphs. So he said, the place where I was sitting, Giant Rock, used to be an active center in the, in the age of Lemuria. But the energy then shifted, and the primary vortex was north of the Great Pyramid. The Great Pyramid is not built directly in it. The Great Pyramid is built approximately nine degrees south so that it taps into that energy without getting hurt, without getting its butt kicked, right? So it, it scoops up the energy, but it's not close enough to really be badly affected by the energy. And he said, the the Earth grid is changing again right now as we speak. And, and when the grid has finished its change that we will have to rebuild our um, monuments, our pyramids, in order to use them the way they were originally intended to be used. Because they are power sources, but again, you can't just plop it in the old place. And it has to be in a configuration and it has to be used with other stones under certain conditions to get your power generators. Right. And when we do that, we'll have every bit of power we need and it'll come straight out of the earth. Mm -hmm. Now that, that poses a, a question that I have for you, Chrisanna, but if you could answer it in the, the, the last five minutes that we have of our program okay. today, and it's to do with the sun. And you know how we're totally dependent on the sun. If there was no sun, there'd be no no planet, no us. And in that same way, are we totally dependent on these 
grid structures in the earth and on the earth like these megalithic stone structures the standing stones the pyramids all of these things and you mentioned that we need to rebuild them are we dependent on those in order for us to be able to grow become enlightened in the same way as we're dependent on breathing air we're dependent on the sun we're dependent on eating are we dependent on these grid structures in the same way no the grid structure the grid structures are a function of intelligence see so as our intelligence increases our needs increase our reach increases our okay. capacity to reach then we need to be able to manage energy more intelligently and we are at that point right now today right and frankly i am really glad that they took when this planet was quarantined i am glad that they took all the stones out that were the key capacitors let's call it to that grid system because if if the black cats whatever you want to call them the controllers had that kind of a power system 5000 years ago i don't know if we would still be around you see taking she said she didn't think we'd be around if if the you know the bad the bad guys if the bad guys had a hold of that power structure back right. 5000 years ago can you imagine what they could have done with it can you imagine what the vatican could have done yeah, with it yeah i know that's right so if we were better off without it and and so these stones and and the real power system were dismantled and I, for our own protection and truly i do think it was our own protection i am just really glad that gw bush does not have a system like that right yes instead <laughs> they have to go build a database in utah more power to utah <laughs> you know? right okay now let us draw this to a conclusion today Chrisanna can you tell us Angel Rose asked you you know where are we in terms of the, the the energy the spiritual battle that's going on let's call it for want of a better way to describe it can you and I want to know what she thinks all the booms are around the world we've only got a couple of minutes the booms yes, so. the hand the booms <laughs> Not the boobs, the booms. The booms. Yes. The explosions. Yeah, okay. Where could are you, they coming from? Could you quickly explain that, Chrisanna, and then give us an idea, like on a scale, let's say, of 1 to 10, just for our intellectual understanding. Are we are we halfway there? Are we up a 5? Are we an 8, a 10? Are we still at a 1 in terms of this, this journey, this progression? 5. We're halfway there. Okay. We're making progress. Okay. We are making progress. The booms, we're in a, in a magnetic change. We are in a, an extreme magnetic change. And it, on my website, I have an article published in Nature Magazine, Nature Journal, about how the Earth, the surface of the Earth, periodically shifts relative to the axis of rotation. And when it shifts, it has a certain, several positions it tends to go to. Now, it didn't say we're doing it right now, but I think that's what's happening. I think the surface of the Earth is literally shifting in its inclination relative to the axis of rotation 
And as that happens, and it's probably because of the magnetics, as that happens, we're getting major, huge um, shifts within the Earth. That's why we're getting landslides, we're getting sinkholes, um, and we've got islands coming Gee. up. It's like gears changing inside. It, it's, that's exactly what it is. And our, our magnetic condition is in a state of change. So it's well, not could, just one thing. It's a whole gestalt of events that are happening. Yeah. Because uh, I thought a lot of those issues like sinkholes and so on were all to do with extracting oil and the fracking that's going on in the substructure of the earth all around the world. Yeah. Well, the, the, the major earthquake, like the biggest earthquake in the last 20 years, and, and actually it is, it is more than just the biggest one in the last 20 years. Um, in 2012, the Indo-Australian tectonic plate fractured, fractured. And the scientists, there is no record, no sign in recorded history that we, that humans have ever observed a tectonic plate fracture. We know they have to because of the reforming and of the, of the plates that we see happens, but we've never observed it. And on 2012, on April 11th of 2012, the Indo-Australian plate fractured that was not fracking yeah. and the the earth has shifted on its axis three times since 2004 remember the big earthquake that caused the tsunami yes the earth shifted on its axis in the um the one at Honshu Japan where where that caused the Fukushima disaster the earth sh uh, shifted on its axis and then in 2010 I believe it was February, maybe 27th, but it was February of 2010. It was a 8.8 .8 quake in Chile, and the Earth shifted on its axis. Well, I do so know that Earth, certain airports do have to realign their mag their runways so that they keep their magnetics intact. Right. So if your your um, your surface of the planet is shifting even a little bit, right? Then you're going to get um, all kinds of consequences from that, and that's what we're seeing. The fracking is bad. The fracking is terrible, but the fracking did not cause these major, major events. The fracking is part of human resonance and human consciousness. This is the resonance that Artemis talked about. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, now speaking of resonance, we are resonating with the end <laughs> of the show here today, okay. unfortunately, because it is the subject that's very keen and close to our heart. We have been speaking with Chrisanna Duran. Don't go away for a second because I want you to give your contact details. But first of all, just to give a quick little recap of what we've covered in the second part of the show today, we've spoken in detail about crop circles and Chrisanna's psychic experiences with Artemis the Arcturian. She spoke about the Battle of Troy and the Pyramids of Egypt being built by Iltar, according to Edgar Casey, the Pyramid Wars, we spoke about the crystal skulls and in the last few minutes there, 
uh, Chrisanna, you spoke and explained to us about the booms that are being heard around the world, and you gave us a marker as five out of ten in terms of our spiritual progress to date. So, unfortunately, we do have to leave it there, but do give us your contact details, how people can get in touch with you. All the contact information is on my website called Atlantis Phoenix, and that's A-T-L-A-N-T-I-S, and then Phoenix, P-H-O-E-N-I-X, dot com. I have, uh, I'll put the radio, put the podcast on there. Uh, I have a contact link. And I have links to several other websites that are all on that page. All right. Thank you so much, Chrisana, for coming on and sharing your treasure treasure trove of info with our listeners. And we look forward to talking to you again. My thank pleasure. You. All right. Thank you. Yeah, Bye. Thank you so much. All right. We do have to leave it there. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. We've been speaking with Chrisana Duran. And... You have been listening to myself, Ahanu, and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. Do remember that Angel Rose's book, A Time of Change, is at a atatimeofchange.info. Her new book, The Nature of Reality, is at thenatureofreality.info. The Akashic Records are online every Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. You can get more information there at worldofempowerment.com. And... If you'd like to be on the show, if you have a spiritual business or a book you'd like to discuss, do contact us at angelrose.com because next week it could be you. So until next Saturday, we send you our love, our blessings, and thank you for listening to myself, Ahanu, and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. And as we say in Ireland, Slán agus Banacht de Live Galair. Chrisana, talk to you soon. Okay, talk to you later. Bye-bye. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire and lighten. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. 